This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Two Corinthians ten. Verse four to verse six. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. God has endowed mankind with an incredible capacity to think It is absolutely amazing what your mind can do with its seemingly limitless imagination. It can transport you in a second to anywhere in the world. Your mind has the ability, on the one hand, to understand the most complex things regarding physics or mathematics, and yet, on the other hand, can take great delight in the simplest, most childlike things. With your mind you can visualize and dream and perceive and create and conceive. And all of this is a wonderful gift from God. It places us far above all other life forms on this earth. And yet, and yet it's a two-edged sword. The mind can be both constructive and destructive, positive and negative, carnal as well as creative. Our lives, by and large, are governed by our thoughts. Proverbs 23, 7, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. He, the thought we say, is often the ancestor of the deed. We think and we act. The Bible has much to say about our thought life. The very moment we are born, there are forces uh, that tries to shape how we think. And how we think has a big bearing on how we act. It really, really does. Think of this for a moment. Think of parental influence. Usually it is massive. Not always, but usually it is massive. It may be godly, it may be ungodly. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 4 to 7, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. 
and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. <coughs> Every believing parent should, take their should teach their children the word of God. Speak of it often. Pray it into their lives. Talk to them about it. Explain some things. Make sure that the Word of God gets into their hearts. Now we know that there's going to come a time, they get a certain age, they've got to make up their mind what they're going to do with that, but at least us as parents have got that responsibility to do the Word of God with our children. Uh, because believe me, nothing will shape their thinking more like the Word of God. And even away back in the Old Testament, God said to the Hebrew people to make sure that you teach your children diligently the Word of God. I remember when our daughter Claire was just a little girl, one of the ways I tried to get the Word of God into her when I put her to bed at night was to sing the Psalms. And she would sing along with me the Psalms. The Psalms are the pure Word of God, and it's a great way to get the Word of God into a child's mind, get them to sing it. Uh, maybe you've got some good worship CDs. Well, a lot of them doesn't have much of the Word in them today, but if you can get ones with the Word of God in them, then use those to, to uh, get into their minds and enter the thoughts. Parental influence can be absolutely massive in a child's life, and, and what better way to influence a child than through the Word of God? Do you understand that, that Jewish children growing up were taught the Word of God to the extent that they would memorize whole chapters at a time, sometimes whole books at a time. How do you think Jesus, even on the cross, at, at his most tormented moment, the most difficult period of his life, the scriptures suddenly just came to his mind? He said, well, that's because he was the Word of God. No, it's because he was taught, even as a child, the Word of God. And, and in those moments of crises, the Word of God would flow. He would, he would speak scriptures from Deuteronomy. They would just flow out of him. Why? Because it was there. It was there. And very often in our lives, if the Word of God is in, hidden in our heart, when it comes a time of difficulty, that Word of God will rise up in our spirit, will rise up in our hearts. And so parent, parental influence is a big thing. And all has got a duty towards our children to make sure that we teach them the Word of God and bring them to the house of God and bring them to the Sunday school. And then there is societal and cultural influence. Society and culture will definitely influence lives. In the book of Daniel, whenever Daniel and the Hebrew boys were captured and taken to Babylon, you remember what happened to them? Verse 3 of Daniel 1, Then a king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, and who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. The language and the literature of the Chaldeans. 
And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Three years in the University of Babylon, all that they had known as Hebrews, all they had known of their culture, all they had known of the scriptures, all they had been taught as little children from their mother's knee, they must get rid of that, the Babylonian mindset. They must get rid of that. They must replace that with the Babylonian culture, with the Babylonian customs, with the Babylonian literature. They must fill their minds full of that. Why? So that they can assimilate into the Babylonian culture so that they can serve in the king's palace. And they would do that over a period of three years. Thankfully, these four, at least thankfully, would have none of it. And they defied even the king's very orders about what to eat. But society and cultural influences are great. Romans 12 and 2, Be not conformed to this world. One translation says, Don't let the world shape you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ephesians 4.23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Society has got a way of getting into our heads. Uh, I said this morning, I'm going to call this message, Give My Head Peace. But I think I've changed that to, who's messing with my mind? Somebody is messing with your mind. And you need to know that, and you need to be able to cope with that. Somebody's messing with your mind. And society and culture will mess with your mind. It tries to change you. It tries to change your opinion about God and about God's Word and about the church and spiritual life. It will mess with your mind. And one of the ways society uses to do that is the media. There is nothing more influential than the media. It is a powerful, powerful tool, and it can be for good, and it can be for evil. But for the most part, it's not used for the good. In every TV program you watch, in every news broadcast you listen to, in every newspaper or magazine that you read, understand that there is a bias built into that. Understand that that bias is generally not towards God and towards Scripture. In fact, it's the opposite. So you have to be able to filter that. Somebody's messing with your mind, and you've got to know that and filter that. Remember that all of these programs are produced by organizations or individuals who have an agenda. And their agenda is to make you think differently. They want to influence society. And we're part of society. <coughs> and they've got a powerful tool to do it with. And they know how to use it increasingly. <coughs> and it has a particular worldview that is not in keeping with God's view. Media plays a very important part uh, in the role of politics. The media can make or break a politician. 
overnight. And we see that happening all the time. Politicians know this. And they know when it comes election time. <laughs> they know that the media is out to get them. And they have to try to be very clever and very careful about the words that they use. Because if they just misuse a couple of words, we know that the media can take that, depending on which media that is, whether it's a newspaper, or the television, or radio, or whatever, depending who the producer is, depending what the bias is, they can take that and they can use it against that person or for that person. Some of the big media moguls, some of the big newspaper owners over the years have decided when it comes to election, we're going to go with the Conservatives, we're going to go with the Labour, we're going to go with the Green Party, and all of their newsprint then focuses on that party to play it up. And if they're on your side, there's a good chance you're going to get into government, but if they're against you, the chances you get in is probably slim, because such is the power of it. It's the same with entertainment. <coughs> if you get a producer, for example, who's got an agenda, that agenda may be he's gay. You can guarantee that what he's going to produce will have a slant towards that. That's why in your soaps, by the way, you get a lot of gay themes. Coronation Street, sorry to offend you if that's what you watch, but Coronation Street, <laughs> some of the producers are openly gay and has said that they have an agenda and they want to produce that through the programs. They know it's a very powerful tool. They know it can shape society's thinking and they use it. That's a fact, by the way. That's not just me saying that. That's just what they've said. Advertising. All of us are influenced by advertising, aren't we? If it didn't work, they wouldn't advertise. They wouldn't spend millions if it didn't work. They know that it works. And for the most part, we're suckers for it, aren't we? <laughs> we really are. You know, if you watch advertising today, it's changed over the years. Uh, some of the advertising today, the more silly and stupid and nonsensical the ad is, uh, the more they reckon it sticks in your mind because it's so bad that it's good. You can't get it out of your head. It's just nonsense. <laughs> and then you look at car, adver car advertising. It tells you nothing about the car. You don't know what the engine size is, how many liters it is, the horsepower. You know nothing. They don't tell you anything like that. But they try to sell you a lifestyle. If you get this car, you'll be really cool. If you get this car... I mean, everybody will think you have arrived if you get this car. It's a whole dream they try to sell you. And it's very subtle, and it works. It really, really works. And so the media has got a massive role when it comes to influence in society of which we're part of, and we need to filter that and know that. Educational influence. I'm not talking here about the great work that teachers and educators do when it comes to maths and English and reading and writing and all the basics that we all need to know. But I'm talking about, and particularly in higher education, I'm talking about the inbuilt bias against creationism. There's an inbuilt bias. And the more you go into further education, the more that it comes to the fore. 
And the more blatant and obvious it becomes, and it's in everything. It's in our libraries. It's in our museums. You remember the row not so long ago whenever the Giant's Causeway, when they opened up the big new center at the Giant's Causeway? And some creationist Northern Ireland says, well, hold on a minute. You're talking about billions of years and millions of years. But wait a minute. There's a Bible slant on that. The Bible talks about creation. There was such a row, <laughs> a whole big row, because creationists wanted to put the Bible point of view. You go to the Austrian Museum, go through the natural history bit. It's all to do with evolution from beginning to end. Watch every nature program, and I love nature programs. I love them. But every one you ever watch, you can guarantee evolution will be the theme. It always, always will be there. And so there's an inbuilt bias. Now, worse still than all of that is that Darwinism has sneaked even into Bible colleges. where Darwin's view of evolution and the so-called scientific view of origins is put before <coughs> the Bible, even in some Bible schools, would you believe? And it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. It is favored above the Genesis account, making God a liar. And all of this and more shapes us into the world's mold if we allow it to. How we think, how we feel, how we act will largely be determined by what we believe. So how do we bring every thought into captivity unto the obedience of Christ? How do we do that? There's only one real way and that is we've got to weigh it with the Word of God. We've got to weigh it with the Word of God. That is the only means we have got. And if believers chip away at the Word of God, where does that leave us? Let me give you an example of this. Just last week, one of the top megachurch pastors in America, here's what he told his congregation just a few Sunday mornings ago to thousands. He said, here's his exact words, you cannot believe all the scriptures. He said, did he, say, he said that. You cannot believe all the scriptures. And his justification for that was, we cannot prove Noah's flood. Yes, we can. But he says, no. Why? Because he's no longer favoring the scriptural account. He's favoring what is called the so-called scientific account. He says, we cannot prove there was a flood and science has proven that God didn't make the world in six literal days. And if that's not bad enough, then he said, he said, forget about all that. It doesn't matter about Noah's flood or six days or six billion years or whatever it may be. It doesn't matter about any of that. All we need to believe is the resurrection. That's where we stand or fall, the resurrection. And then, <laughs> and this is a circular argument, then, having said that, he goes to the Scriptures after emptying a great big dollop of doubt on the Scriptures, then he goes to the Scriptures to prove the resurrection. 
And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. If you're saying Moses got it wrong when he wrote Genesis, now you're saying Paul and Peter and Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they all got it right about the resurrection. But wait a minute, I wasn't there 2,000 years ago. What do I believe? I had to believe their word. I didn't see it. I didn't see Jesus risen from the dead. But I believe it. Why? Because I believe their word. I believe the scriptures that they wrote. I believe they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. I had to take their word for it. And he's having to take their word for it, but he doesn't take Moses' word for it. So which part is true? If you're going to turn around and say, he doesn't see the glaring inconsistency. If you're going to turn around and say, well, Moses got it wrong, but Paul got it right. Well, how do you know? You're going to have to take their word for it because we weren't there. Moses wasn't there at the beginning of creation. How did he know? How did he know to write that down? Because God's Spirit told him to write that. And he wrote it. And that's what we've got to go on. The trouble is now, if you say the, the Old Testament writers got it wrong in places, but all of the New Testament is right, who's going to believe that? Do you think the scientists are going to say, oh, the resurrection, oh, that must be right. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll believe that because Peter and Paul, they wrote that, that must be right. But we don't believe that Moses' business. It's nonsense. And sadly and tragically, that church now is going to compromise the Scriptures. And let me make a prophecy. The same guy who compromised the Scriptures there is going to compromise them again and again and again and again. And the people will not know what to believe anymore. And when those young people in this church goes to university and the professors stand up and say, that whole stuff in creation is all a myth, they'll say, well, we don't really believe that, because our pastor told us not to believe that. But we believe in the resurrection. They say, the resurrection? Do you believe that stuff? That's a fairy tale too. And then the confusion sets in. This book here is the only thing that we can truly, truly believe. Let me just read you this. I, I don't know if this pastor ever read this. I'm assuming he did, but he didn't get it. You remember the story that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus? And Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, the rich man went to hell. And how the rich man there seeing him, but couldn't reach him because there was a great gulf between. And he said, Father Abraham, get Lazarus to dip his finger in water and touch my tongue because I'm tormented in this flame. He says, well, he can't pass between here and there. He can't do that. Well, then, <laughs> get him to go to my brothers and tell them not to come to this place. And listen to what Jesus said, Abraham said. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Even if one was resurrected, they'll still not believe it if they do not believe Moses and the prophets. Who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Moses. And if you don't believe that, everything else, take your pick. What's true, what's not true. And this is why this book comes under such attack from the evil one because if he can get us moved away from this, we need to know what to believe anymore. And so we need a measuring stick. 
We talked about a plumb line this morning. We need a measuring stick to measure by. Theologians call the 66 books in your Bible the, the full canon of Scripture. And the word canon literally means a measuring stick, a rule. This is the measuring stick. This is the rule that God has given us to measure this world's philosophies, this world's thinking, this world's worldview. Worldview is simply how you view the world. This whole stuff about, about evolution, all of us, scientists, evolutionists, Christians, creationists, all of us look at the same thing, but we see it through different eyes. Our worldview is based on God's word. Theirs is based on assumption. You say, but it's science. No, no, no. Good science is science that works today. It's what's called observational science. You can observe it. You can see it. You can test it. You can replicate it. You can do it. And it's good. And it's produced many good things for us as, 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 as human beings in this world. Wonderful. Some of the greatest scientists ever lived were believers and believed in God and believed in creation, by the way. But the science that they're talking about, about origins, is historical science. And it's based on assumptions. Because nobody was there. So they assume this, and they assume that. And they posit this, that, and the other. So that's why we must stick to the word. This is the canon, the measuring stick for us. So all philosophies and concepts and arguments and imaginations that Paul talked about all must be weighed and measured by the word. Take euthanasia. The argument has gone from passively letting people die to actively assisting people to die. And this is the trouble with these laws. Once the law is passed, it's usually the thin edge of a very big wedge. <coughs> and so the law was passed many, many years ago in Great Britain regarding abortion, for example. And at that time, the arguments was put forth about the danger to the mother and so forth and so on, and it was accepted. I think it was 1973. But that argument has gone from that to the danger to a mother's life to a baby with a cleft palate. Well, I, I don't want a baby with a cleft palate. Or this is my body so I can do what I like with it. And so it doesn't matter about that baby. It's just a piece of a woman's body, and that's all it is, like your tonsils, your appendix. Though we know that it's a life, a life created by Almighty God. <coughs> this whole argument of euthanasia, I know that it's put many doctors in the medical professions sometimes in a very difficult position. Now, I'm not advocating that we should artificially keep life going on and on and on and on and on. Normally, if we remove that, the person will die naturally. Fair enough. But to continue to assist deliberately, consciously. Do you know that just this week in Belgium, the first minor, the first minor was euthanized because they wanted to. And that's going to be the thin end of another big wedge. How many more will there be after? Uh, you just need one, and then there's a knock on effect. 
the LGBT lobby in America particularly has succeeded with the Obama administration to bring into law, you've seen it in television, to bring into law no gender discrimination when it comes to public toilets and changing rooms. In other words, a man can go into a woman's toilet or a woman's changing room, and it's not against the law. A woman can go into a man's toilet or a woman's changing room, and it's not against the law. In fact, it's got that bad that they're trying to make it so that you have to abide by this. If you're a government building, you must have this. In fact, some big stores like Target, which is one of the massive stores in America, they decided of their own bat to do this. And there was such a boycott that's going on that they're losing millions and millions and millions of dollars. But they still persisted. And now there's been two cases in Target where men has gone into women's toilets. Need I say more? That's how crazy this world has become. Did you ever think you'd live to see the day where that would happen? You say, well, that's America. You think it couldn't happen here? <laughs> Just give it a little bit of time, folks. Depends who's in government. Anything can happen. Do you know that Facebook has got 58 gender options for you to choose from? 58. It's gone from male and female to 58. I couldn't even tell you what they are. 58 of them. What kind of a mind thought this up? And you instinctively know that's not right. It's not in line with God's word, is it? But that's the world we live in today. Whether you like it or whether you don't, that's what's happening. Paul says in Colossians 2.8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge by professing it some have strayed concerning the faith. There's people straying concerning the faith today. And so there's all kinds of forces that's trying to mess with your mind. And that's why we've got to know the Word of God. So that immediately we flag it up. Something's not right about that. Instinctively we know. What about her worries, her fears, anxieties? There's enough stuff in this world to make you not even sleep in your bed at night if you were so inclined, if you didn't know the Word of God, if you didn't read the end of the book and see how it pans out. Proverbs 3 and 5, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. Because your own understanding is being constantly influenced and swayed, so we we better trust in the Lord. Even against sometimes what we think, we've got to trust in the Lord. In Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Verse 13 of the same chapter, For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, <coughs> I will help you. God will take his right hand 
and he'll hold your right hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. All computers have got antivirus software and firewall protection, or at least they should have. Why? Because there's people out there that's trying to mess with your computer. They're trying to change how your computer thinks, if I can use that term. They're trying to inject something into it to change how it operates. And that's why we constantly need protection against that. Some of it's pretty benign. It's just people fooling about for the fun of it. But others are sinister and serious and can do great damage. That's one of the things that in warfare today <laughs> is that the whole business of computers involved in warfare. And that's what armies are working on today so that they can outwit each other with computers rather than guns. Second Corinthians 10 and 5, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This means every contrary thought, every disobedient thought, every rebellious, defiant, unchristlike, carnal, prideful thought that exalts man's thoughts above God's thoughts, that exalts man's ways above God's ways, man's will above God's will. That's what we're faced with out there every day of our lives. Why do I as a pastor keep hammering the same drum? Get into the Word. Because it's going to be the only thing that's going to keep you on track. It means every vain philosophy, every religious tradition that makes her faith void, every teaching that dishonors Christ and the gospel, we bring that all into captivity and submit it to Christ. How do we do that? Simple the same way that Jesus did it. It is written, 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 it is written. Jesus used the Word of God. And if Jesus, the Son of God, had to use the Word of God, and He was the Word of God, where does that leave us? Surely He's telling us that's the greatest weapon we have got. That's our best defense, is the Word of God. 1 John 5, 9, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Whose report are we going to believe? The two spies or the ten spies? The ten spies were the majority, but the majority was wrong. Usually the majority is wrong. Usually. In Matthew 6, Jesus said five times, take no thought, no anxious thought. No worrying thought. The fact that he said don't take it means that somebody is offering it. Somebody is offering that thought to you. Today or tomorrow or next day. It may be the devil directly, usually indirectly through something else or somebody else, a thought that is not of God and it's not your thought either. 
So if it's not your thought and it's not God's thought, do not take it. Giles Will Sanders says, The mind of man is the battleground on which every moral and physical, sorry, every moral and spiritual battle is fought. John Stott said, Self control is primarily mind control. If you can control your thoughts, you can control an awful lot because that's where the battle is. That's where the worry is, isn't it? That's where the anxiety is. Let me just finish by reading this scripture. We read it a moment ago, but I just want to read it from the New Living Translation. Paul said in chapter 4, reading from verse 6, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. There's an antidote to worry, isn't it? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The resident says, shall garrison, shall stand around like an army. He's using a military metaphor here, by the way, like an army standing in garrison, guarding. Now, dear friends, he said, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Think about all those things. And the peace of God shall keep your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so we're bombarded. Somebody is messing with our minds. But thank God we have a guard, we have a shield, we have a way to filter. And it's the Word of God. It's the peace of God in our heart. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us defenseless. But you've given us weapons. You've given us shields. You've given us a way to overcome the evil one. And all of this was philosophies. So much of it is wrong. So much of it is against God himself. And so help us, Lord, to stand for truth and stand in truth. Help us, Lord, to know your word and to believe it and to receive it and to live it. And so we give you thanks. We have to live in this world. We have to face it every day. But, Lord, you're given the means to overcome the world. (coughs) And so we thank you that we always triumph in Christ, that you give us the victory again and again. And so we bless you, and as we go out into this week, with all of the stuff that's out there that we have to face, Lord, give us the peace that passes all human understanding and guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And we praise you and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
we produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk